RP3 is ready to step his game up and grab the mic for the latest edition of the Rap Game Podcast. Here is Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. This week, it's Masters Week. That's right. The famed golf tournament, one of golf's big majors, played there at Augusta at what is arguably probably one of the world's most recognizable, if not famous, golf courses, is going to start on Thursday. Been delayed due to COVID-19. The pandemic pushed it from the summer all the way here into the month of November. The azaleas will not be in bloom, but we will have major championship golf. And there's no better person for us to talk about the Masters with than our first guest here on this episode of the Rap Game Podcast. He's the longtime award-winning columnist and reporter for the Baton Rouge Advocate. He has covered the Masters multiple times from 2002 to 2006, and then again from 2013 until last year. He's also just gone as a fan of the game, of the course of the tournament. It's our privilege to welcome on to this episode of the Rap Game Podcast, the one and only Scott Rabelais. Rab, good morning, brother. How you doing? I'm very well, thank you. Thank you, Ray. All right, I know you have an affinity for the game of golf. You love it. So let's start there. When did you first fall in love with golf, and when did you first kind of fall in love with the Masters? Uh, my dad had been by the game when I was real little, like, you know, four, four years old and he started playing and I would cry to go, go play with him. But, you know, you, a lot of courses have a, like an age limit to, as you go to like a private club, which we never did, uh, you know, uh, they have an age limit on how old you have to be to, to go play. But we'd go play at City Park. Some people might know City Park here in Baton Rouge, right off of I-10, uh, by the, the University Lakes and, and, uh, well, just a public golfer. I just, I just started playing, played in high school. Played on the on the 1983 Baton Rouge High State Championship golf team. I was like one of those guys that sits at the end of the bench and claps when 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 Duke wins the national championship. <laughs> but nonetheless, I was on the team. Um, I like that. I like that because that reminds me of I played one year of golf in high school up in Illinois, and uh, there was seven. Uh, there was eighteen oh. of us on the team, and I was the seventeenth uh, best player, and the other one <laughs> had uh, had a physical handicap. So uh, that tells you everything you need to know about my ability uh, in high school uh, yeah, as a golfer. I, I was not the I was not the worst, but I was I was far from the best. That's our, our best player I was uh, uh, people might remember Jenny Lidback, her younger brother Alex was our best player, and he played at LSU. So uh, you know we had we had some good players. So yeah, but I was on the state championship team. I was on the team. You know, I was I was uh, I offered moral support. You know, so <laughs> um, but uh, and, and then uh, as far as the Masters goes, I guess the first time I remember watching, I started become a you know, sports aware. You know, in the, in the late seventies, you know, watched the NFL and obviously LSU football. But probably, probably the first Masters I really watched intently was the nineteen eighty Masters when Seve Ballesteros won for the first time. And he was the youngest champion, and and uh, uh, there was just a feature on Golf Channel uh, Monday about him, uh, and it's being the 40th anniversary of his win. And he was such a he was such a charismatic player. I mean, he, you know, you could you were immediately captivated by him. Because anytime you saw him play in a tournament, he won in New Orleans one year, I think in 1985 or 86, um, at Old Lakewood Country Club in Algiers, and uh, he, he was just. You wanted to see what he would do. He was just one of those players that you just had to see what he was doing. And uh, so that was uh, – I've loved it ever since. And then tried to go for years and then get to go and finally uh, got to cover it in 2002. And uh, that was the year Tiger won for the 
he won back to back. He won in '97, of course, in '01 and '02. And uh, one of my claims to fame, uh, another uh, uh, infamy maybe, another uh, sports talk friend. Every time I go on the show, he'll ask me what you know, what year someone won the Masters. And I, I do have them all committed to memory. So um, <laughs> if, there'll be, if there'll be a quiz later, uh, I'm fine with that. Okay. When did Freddie Couples win it? Freddie Couples won in 1992. There we go. My man was right off the top of yeah. his head. Nice. Uh, for for yeah. me, Rab, the first time I really remember uh, the Masters and remember how big of a deal it was, uh, it would have been in 86 when Jack won his last one. Sure. I, I just remember that. That was a moment when he won – and it kind of transcended just from the golf fans into all sports fans. It was a huge deal, especially back then when you didn't have access to uh, everything so quickly, right? You had to depend on Sports Illustrated or the evening news to get your content. And I remember just how of a big moment that was. Even people in my own family that weren't golf fans, they talked about it. And that's that was kind of the, the first time. that That's the first real memory of the Masters and how big of a deal it was uh, in the sports world for me. Well, that's one of my, my favorites. I remember watching that very very uh, intently. And, uh, and Jack Nicholas was my favorite golfer. Nicholas and Ben Crenshaw, who won twice, 1984 and 1995. Um, but, uh, that, you know, Jack had been out of it. You know, he'd won two majors in 1980. And then, he, you know, he was 46. And, and, you know, he didn't win majors at that age. And he had that magical back nine. We shot a 30 on the back nine on Sunday. And uh, and just blew past everybody, and uh, it was uh, it, it, I think it's uh, one of the two that stands out the most for people. And I think the younger generation Tigers win last year will be like that, and and, and that's understandable. But for me, it's Nicholas winning at 46, winning that last major, that sixth green uh, green jacket. By the way, man, you, you know I, I tweeted this out last year when Tiger won, and people were disappointed in me for tweeting this out. They don't get multiple green jackets. You know, they just, if you win it again, they just put the jacket that you have on you. So you probably know that. But people are like, oh, really? That's a bummer. I can tell that. I'm like, well, it's just a fact. I didn't think y'all would get upset. (laughs) I do. I do love when you have to – I do love that ceremony where they have to the, – the last year's winner has to put the jacket on that year's winner. And you had that, that, that run there with Phil and and, and and Tiger, you know, and they weren't quite yeah. as friendly yeah, back then. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right, yeah. and you have to put the jacket on your, on your rival. I tell you, another Masters yeah. that really stands out to me, Rab, is, is 96. And that, of course, was uh, Faldo. Uh, overcoming the oh, large yeah. deficit for poor, just poor, poor Greg Norman. I just poor, poor Norman. Yeah, uh, Greg Norman had a, I believe, a, a six-stroke lead going into the final round or something like that, and he just collapsed to like a seventy-eight. Oh. And Nick Faldo roared past him with a sixty-seven. Faldo uh, played brilliantly. I mean, everybody talks about how poorly Norman played, and and he did. You know, especially that back nine. But but Faldo played exceptionally well. You know, shot a sixty-seven. Kind of like Danny Willett uh, in 2016 Ooh, when, yeah. when Jordan Spieth hit the two in the water. He was playing the final group with Smiley Kaufman from LSU, and he hits the two in the water on 12. And Danny Willett shot a 67 that day. Everybody remembers Jordan's collapse, and rightly so, but Danny Willett played exceptionally, an exceptional final round. And uh, I, I just thought uh, Nick Faldo afterwards, he said, yeah, he just, I just wanted to give Greg a hug. <laughs> he felt bad. He really felt he was happy to win, of course, his third Masters, but, but he felt bad for Norman because he never won. You know, Norman, 
uh, you know, uh, in 1986, he had the Saturday Slam. Uh, have you ever heard of that? They, they, oh, yeah. He, he led the, every major going into the final round, including that Masters. And he had a chance to tie Nicholas, but he fanned uh, uh, his iron shot into the gallery on a right of the 18th green and couldn't get up and down for par. And Nicholas beat him by a stroke. And, uh, uh, and but he <laughs> just wanted to give him a hug because he, he felt bad. And it was, it was Norman's last really great shot at the Masters. And, and, um, that's a shame because obviously he had the game to have won that one. It just uh, it didn't work out for him. Until when I always think about Norman and the Masters, you know what else I think about? I think about Phil in the U.S. Open. I, I, it it kind of that it was the one tournament that each guy really wanted to win and yeah. never yeah. could. It, it always you know yeah. we always know how much the U.S. Open means to Phil, and he's never been able to win it and he's won all the other majors. Right? He finally got the, the monkey off his back and won the other majors. And Norman won other majors. But the one that you always felt like they really wanted to win, they never did. Yeah, and, and Greg, you know, he had that chance. He, you know, uh, he, he just had that, he had that string where people were just beating him with these incredible shots. Bob Clay hit out of the bunker to beat him in the 86 PGA, and uh, uh, David Frost hit out of the bunker on 18 in New Orleans to beat him in 1990. And, and uh, 87, you know, he had the playoff with Seve and Larry Mize, and they go to 11, and Larry Mize chips in from 140 feet away. And Greg's on the green putting for birdie from a long way away, but but uh, didn't make the putt. I mean, he lost uh, to you know one of the more one of the most iconic shots in, in Masters history. You know that chip in that Larry Mize had, and uh, got to got to interview him a couple of times. Just a, a great gentleman, Larry Mize. He's from Augusta. I think he's the first person from Augusta to win the Masters. And uh, you know you, that's somebody you're, you're really happy for because talking about a guy who knows the meaning of you know how important the Masters is. But uh, but you know, sometimes. Uh, it's just not meant to be, and obviously for Phil, you know, he was never going to win the U.S. Open. He's 50 now, so you know it's, it's never going to happen. But uh, it's a shame because he had they, he had those great chances, like Greg did at Augusta. Reb, when I look at the Masters, you know, certain 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 the majors, certain guys can win it because of certain skill set. But the Masters is. <laughs> It's it, it presents so many different challenges, right? Because when I look on here and I see some guys, like I remember Zach Johnson winning. What was that? Two thousand seven, mm-hmm. right? That he won. I think it was uh, what, yeah. plus one for plus one tied the highest winning scorer. It ties. Uh, it kind of came out of nowhere. And, and, and look, he's forever going to be a Masters champion. But sometimes you 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 have those guys that kind of creep up like that. Um, Danny Willett was another one, even though he uh, you know he played really well um, that year. What is it about the actual course, the way it's laid out there in Augusta, that presents so many challenges? We know about Amen's Corner, and, and, and we get that, but what is it about the course that some guys really kind of rise to the occasion and other guys really kind of just, just crumble? Well, first of all, it usually takes some experience to do well there. You, you have to know the subtlety of the greens. You talk about Amen's Corner, that's the lowest part of the course, right? That's where Ray's Creek is. Right. The whole course, the whole course is basically on the side of a giant hillside that slopes down from the clubhouse all the way down there, and it's like 140 foot elevation change, you know, from the clubhouse down to the creek at 12. So you have to know that you have to know where you are in orientation to that, and you think, okay, well, you're, well, pro golfers they know all kinds of stuff, you know, they're very attuned to that. But it's very subtle, so you have to know those things. You have to. Um, it, 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 you, know, it, it, you know, Bobby Jones created the Masters along with Clifford Roberts, this New York financier, and Jones helped design the course himself with Alistair McKenzie. And you know, a lot of people say you know it, it, it favors a player who draws the ball from right to left, and a lot of a lot of pros hit the ball from left to right. That's why left-handers have done well at Augusta over the years, like Mike Weir, 
winning in 2003 and Phil winning three times. Uh, you know, uh, uh, the um, Bubba Watson uh, winning twice is that you can hit a controlled fade that goes right to left, but for them it's a fade, and a fade when you fade the ball, it's you don't want to slice it like a lot of us do, but you want to fade it so it gives you power and control because the ball will will roll out less, you know, when you fade the ball. So so that's that's important too, hitting the ball the right shape. And some guys just they have you know that's not their thing. You know, a lot of guys are. Uh, left to right players, and I think that that uh, proves to be their detriment. So I, I think it's it's a lot of subtle factors. You know, it's only been, but the experience is a big thing. There's only been two first time winners at Augusta: Horton Smith, who won the very first one in 1934, and Fuzzy Zeller in 1979. That's the only time. So that shows wow. you. Wow, uh, I did not know that. Wow. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's now the guys have won. You know, on the you know just a, a handful of appearances. You know, you know, but it takes it takes a little time. And John Rahm, I was watching him on the Golf Channel on Tuesday morning, and, and this is like his fourth Masters. And he talked about you know you can learn something every time you come here. And I, I think for a player who who has been number one in the world and and uh, and has a chance to go back to number one in the world, depending on how he finishes this week, uh, that tells you a lot. Rab, give me. You know, obviously, you, you watch it on television as a kid growing up and as an adult, but then you finally get the opportunity to go cover the actual event. How much different is it seeing it in person than it is watching it on television? Well, I mean, it's it's both, it's both spectacular, you know, obviously, but the thing is, you know, you go there and, and it's it's a feast for all the senses, right? I mean, you hear the birds chirping and, you you know, you, you get to see – you can't believe – how good, how immaculate the place is in terms of the grass and the the you know the the landscaping and everything. It's just that has to be believed. It's also much hillier in person. You know, TV tends to flatten everything out, and it's it's very hilly. I thought I spoke of the the elevation change from from the whole course, right? And um, you know, you, it's really shocking to to see that sometimes. And, and like the, you know, you see it, you kind of see it on television, like like the sixth hole. Um, the uh, you know, some of the patrons, the gallery members, sit below the tee on the hillside, and the players will hit over them, you know, onto the sixth green, the par three. And six is back. Six kind of makes a tee with sixteen, which also you can you can you can stand next to the sixth hole and see the sixteenth hole and see the fifteenth green, which is the par five with the lake in front that uh, so many players that you know you know go forward to. That's such a dramatic hole. So it's it's those things. But then it's just when you stand on on a certain spot, a great spot is like the bends in the 13th fairway where you can see the 13th green and you can look back down the, the, the rocky raised creek and you can still see the 12th green that you can see in and corner right there. Those are the things that make you go, yeah, this is, this is very special and very, very fortunate to be here. Uh, uh, yeah, I've, I've been, like I said, 13 times and every time I just feel very grateful to get to go and hopefully grateful to get back uh, very soon. What's your favorite interaction you've had with a golfer or with uh, a fan when you've been covering the Masters? Um, the fans are great because you know you see you know you run to people from from Louisiana or something like that, and I've done notes on them. I, I saw the lady one time; she was she was on a she'd had knee surgery and she was from Louisiana, and she was on a one of those little wheeling carts, you know. I was like, she was out there by 13. I was like, yeah, how'd you get way down here with this thing? So I was not, I told my doctor, I'm not, she had like a skiing injury. I was not missing it. My husband got tickets this year in the lottery and we're, we're coming. I'm coming to the basket. <laughs> so that, that was a, that was a great one. Uh, obviously, you know, you get to interview a lot of these people and, and that was fun. Uh, I've been Crenshaw, who, like I said, was one of my favorites. 
after he played his final uh, round of the Masters a few years ago. Um, I shook his hand after the, the, post, the post-round press conference. Uh, he didn't make the cut, so Friday was it for him. And so that that was neat. Uh, the story I like to tell, it, it, it'll take just a second, but is I, I think the first year, first or the second year I went, I think it was, it was the first year I went in 2002. It was one of those Masters that, like this one might be, they got affected by the rain, and they had to, like, you know, they had to finish around. You know, it was around, like, you know, they played till dark, and they had to restart it the next day, and then they had a little break, and so the players had to go out for the next round, like the second and the third round. So so um, you can – we have a media – there's a media center, the press building uh, over there. It, the old press building is where the first hole, now it's a little farther out, but it's, it looks like the house from Gone with the Wind. Um, and they, they feed you there. Obviously, they have places you eat, but you can eat in the clubhouse. You can pay – uh, the media can pay to, pay to eat in the clubhouse. But, uh, we're in the grill room, and I'm there with a, another reporter, and uh, we're at a table for four, and so it's just the two of us. And Phil Mickelson comes in with his teaching pro uh, at the time, Rick Smith, and there's no place to sit. Yeah, so so he, he comes up and said, "Are these seats taken?" So we said, "No, you know, you know, you know, sit down." So he sits down uh, and, and he sticks his hand across the table. Says, Phil Mickelson. I'm like, "Yeah, I know who you are." <laughs> yeah, so, you know, and so. There was a lot of chit chat. They were talking. They were talking business about about something, and so which is fine. You know, it was just kind of cool. I'll never forget what he ordered. He ordered three cheeseburgers with no bread and a diet coke. It was like that scene in the Blues Brothers where where uh, John Bel- uh, Belushi orders four fried chickens and a coke. You know, <laughs> um, and it was like he ordered three, you know, big, you know che- cheeseburger patties and a co- and so just because he wanted to bulk up the protein, you know, before heading out there for the next round because it was a long day. And everything. So he he came to play in New Orleans uh, uh, a month or so later. And I'm interviewing after one round. I said, "You remember sharing a table with me at Augusta last month?" He's like, "Oh yeah, yeah." I, was like, I don't know if he remembered or not, but I, it's a story I've been able to tell for almost 20 years. So it's, <laughs> it's been kind of fun. But but uh, I got to say, one of the coolest things is being able to go in the clubhouse. It's only two places you can go. You can't go in the Champions locker room. You can go in the regular locker room, but not the Champions locker room. And well, we can't go in the pro shop anymore. And Berkman's place, that really fancy uh, place they built another fifth hole for the high rollers to go and, and and just you know just kind of hang out and stuff. They don't let you in there. But we can go in, in, in the what they call the library upstairs in the locker room, which is where they have the champions dinner. You know, every every year of the Masters. On I think it's not there this year because they want a bigger space. But it's it's uh, it's where they always take the photo and the the champion hosts the dinner with the, it's the it's the players who have won. And the chairman of the club, and that's it. Right, and he gets yeah, no and, and, and the winner gets to pick the meal, right? The winner picks the menu, and you know, like Tiger, I think this year says he's serving steak and sushi and fajitas. I think is on the menu this year, and um, so we ate lunch up there one time, and, and uh, um, there were a couple other sports writers, Jeff Duncan was with the Picayune at the time, and uh, I was looking at this, this painting on the wall of uh, Clifford Roberts, the guy who had you know, founded the club with. with uh, with Bobby Jones and our waiter said, like, so I see you looking at that painting. So you know who painted that? I said, President Eisenhower? I said, yeah, that's who did that picture. Because Eisenhower was a member of the club while he, you know, he played there a lot while he was president. So that's a pretty cool thing to do too, I got to say. Rab, you know, where the, the club is, obviously it's secluded and everything. So how far out, uh, do you stay? How far, how long does it take you to actually get to the course to cover the event? <laughs> and, and, you know, because I've always been curious about that. It's not. It's not like there's like you know a day's in by the entrance to Augusta. So, right. so you know, how far yeah. does it take you, and where do you stay? Yeah, you're on your own. Like like a lot of you know, as you know, covering a lot of you know, you know, big you know, bowl games and big events. 
there'll be a media hotel, right? And and uh, but they don't do that. You're on your own at Augusta. They might help you find accommodations. But in the, in the past, I've stayed as far away as Columbia, South Carolina, because to get a cheap hotel rate because they'll charge like four hundred dollars a night. You know, at Augusta, you know that's that's a good that's a good rate uh, during the Masters week. And Columbia is like it's like driving from Baton Rouge to New Orleans on I-10. It's it's on I-20. You know, it's it's interstate, but it's still an hour away. You know, and that adds two hours to your day everywhere. So so the year 2012, uh, I hadn't been for the Masters for five years. My brother got tickets, two tickets in the in the uh, lottery for the Monday practice round. So we're like, okay, where are we going to stay? So we're going to drive up. We're going to play golf on the way. We'll probably stay in Atlanta, drive over, stay all day, drive back. So we'll be on the way home, you know, a little bit. And so, uh, a friend of his from work said, why don't you talk to the guys at such and such? Uh, they always get a house in Augusta. And it's a company my brother works with. So they're like, sure. You know, if you, especially if you don't have any tickets to come stay, it's, it's this house that these people get and, and to, to entertain clients and stuff and bring them to the tournament. And so he says, he calls me, get on Google Maps and see where this house is. So the last since 2012, I've stayed at this house that is two blocks away from Magnolia Lane. Oh, on the other on. side of Washington Road, which is yeah, I, I mean, I drive there, but I could I could walk to the to the club, and uh, these guys just get a house, and they just let me stay. I, I just I just need a place to put my stuff in the shower, and I eat a little bit of their food, and I chip in some of the food for them. So that's been nice. That you know, it gets a little more expensive every year, so I never know from one year to the next because it's not going to have it. <laughs> and I don't think they obviously they wouldn't have gone this year because there are no 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 fans were allowed. But uh, yeah, the last uh, since 2012, I've stayed like two blocks away from Magnolia Lane instead of it being an hour away or something like that. But a lot of people will rent a house. I know people, uh, a, guy from, a retired pharmacist, Mike Dorman, and his son from, from here in Baton Rouge, they uh, they go and work the, the tournament as volunteers, and they, they rent a house, and it's like, you know, 10 or 15 minutes from the course. But I guess it's a city by the size of Lafayette, I, w- I would say. So, you know, you could be, like, across town, and it's not that far. But, but I, I've been really fortunate just to be right there. It's like, you know, a five-minute drive at, at most. <laughs> Is there a place every time you go, Rab, when when you go to to, to cover the Masters, is there a particular restaurant or diner or something like that that's like a well-known local place that you always go to, that that, that's that's your spot when you go and cover the Masters? You know, I and it's been all. I spend, I spend every hour I can there, and since I stay so close by, I just easily eat at the club, and then they have food at the house where I stay at, at the end. And I've always wanted to go to the, I think it's the French Market Bistro or French Market Cafe that w- was owned by Frank Cherkinian, who was the longtime CBS director who directed the, the Masters for decades. And I've always wanted to go there, but I, I've never, I've never gone. So not, not really. I, I've been, I've, I've eaten at some places, you know, around uh, Augusta, but it's, yeah, my favorite place is the the restaurant that they have in the press building. <laughs> it's called. Um, I figure it's Bartlett's Lounge or something like that, and, and it's upstairs. They serve, serve breakfast and lunch, not dinner, but you know they have a meal there, and you just you know go in and uh, got to take your hat off, you know. But oh, of, uh, course. of uh, course, it's yeah. But uh, you can you can see out into the, we we, have, we sit in this main the, the main press area. There's like a huge amphitheater that looks out onto the driving range, the, the practice range, and uh, with these huge windows and got these massive TV screens on each side. As you can see out into that, and it's uh, it's, it's great. And I'm pretty sure they have a there's a chef from Louisiana who works there every year, who you know comes to you know, help prepare the food. So that's probably my favorite place in town. But I always get as far as food goes, I always get a pimento cheese. Yeah, I'll, see, you, 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 I that's what I was going to ask you. Just how good? Look, I'm a big pimento cheese guy. I, I love them. I love a good pimento cheese sandwich. Just how delicious and tasty is the pimento cheese sandwich that you can get at the Masters, Bud? 
it's really it's really good quality pimento cheese, and and, and as I realize it's an acquired taste. It's not for everybody, uh, but uh, I, I, and it's just it's just you know cheese spread on on white bread. I mean it's, that's what it is. You know? <laughs> but does it taste stuff. better, Rab, if you're eating it, it there at, at at Augusta? It's like it's like Les Miles said. You know, the grass in Tiger Stadium tastes best. You know, you put a piece of grass <laughs> in his mouth, and it became and that became a sensation. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely the ambiance has a lot to has a lot to do with it. And it's the same sandwich they have on the court. You know, the, one of the great things about the Masters is for the for the patrons. If you go there, getting in is the hard part. You know, getting a ticket, getting, right. you know, and the tickets aren't expensive. Just being able to get one, it lets you buy them on the secondary market when it could be you know a thousand dollars for a day, but. Um, what you get in the, it's not bad. You know, the, yes, you know, yes, a thousand dollars, Rob, because I've looked into it over the years. Yes, yes, <laughs> and my wife quickly said, "No, no, there'll be none of that." And I said, right. "Yes, dear." <laughs> uh, but the, like the concession, you can get a sandwich and uh, a beer and a bag of chips, and it would be about six bucks. You know, maybe maybe seven if you ordered an imported beer, you know, or something like that. And, and that's it. Yeah, you know, they don't have anything real fancy, you know, uh, to eat there. You know, but it's it's uh, it's much less than than what you know one item would cost you at the Superdome or at Cajun Field or at Tiger Stadium. You know, so it's, that part is pretty uh, pretty reasonable and it stayed that way over the years. But the, that's one thing I like about it. But yeah, the pimento cheese at at the Masters. You know, as soon as I get there, is is uh, that's that's the go to. All right, bud. Let's talk about last year because it was incredible. Uh, obviously, Tiger winning after all the setbacks physically, personally, emotionally that he had suffered as his career it looked at some point to, to be in shambles. He even admitted it to himself. He, he did not believe that he would ever play at a high level like that again, and, and it was magical. And I, I just want to ask you, uh, what was that like to witness? You, you saw him win there before, but what was it like last year there at Augusta and seeing Tiger slip on that green jacket again. Yeah, I, I was there the year uh, when he chipped in on 16. Everybody remembers the iconic shot where the ball rolls and just trickles into the just cup. Trickles and in, the yeah. falls in, and so that was that was amazing uh, to cover that one. I thought that couldn't be topped. But yeah, for him to, to, to come back, I mean, from these from these, uh, I mean, he came back from the abyss. He won a couple of tournaments, you know. In recent years, but leading up to that, but not a major. And that was, was wonder could he, you know, I was thought, yeah, he's got at least one more major. And it's probably Augusta because he has such knowledge of the course and such experience there and such confidence. And, uh, you know, it's not a lot of heavy rough and hardly any rough really. And, and the course suits him. So it, it, it was just, it was just phenomenal because it was one of those stories that was just as, you know, you know, much beyond the sports story. I mean, the year before, Patrick Reed won, who, Played, you know, lived here in Baton Rouge for a while. Went to University High, and uh, before uh, moving back to Georgia, now he lives in, in Houston. But uh, so that was a neat uh, local angle, and we put that on one A. But this was a story like he turned on, you know, uh, uh, one of the national news networks Sunday night or, or Good Morning America on on Monday morning, and that was like the lead thing. You know, Tiger Woods wins the Masters for the fifth time, wins the fifth Green Jacket, and all that stuff. So it was a, it wasn't just a sports story; it was a you know, nationwide news story and uh, worldwide, really. I mean, every, you know, a lot of people. You know, who's you know, who's the most famous athlete in the world? Maybe he's not the anymore, but he is still way up there. The that the rare handful. So it was a it was amazing, and you know, just and just to watch how he conducted himself that final round. You know, and, you know, players around him crumbled. Molinari, who won the British Open the year before, uh, you know, put put the 
balls in the water at, at Rays Creek and, and, you know, kind of, kind of faded and the other players kind of fired and fell back. And he just kind of bided his time and waited for everyone else to make a mistake. A lot like Nicholas used to do, you know, when he won all those majors. And look, can he win again? You know, he's now 43. Yeah, 40. Yeah. So can he win another one? I guess so. But this is, you know, he's, he hasn't played, he hasn't been on quite as good a form going into this year's Masters as he has been in the past. But you can't totally count him out. I, I was something about that place kind of revitalizes him. But uh, it, it was remarkable that he came back from all that he came back from. It, Nick Faldo said on the air, uh, I believe last year, he said talking to Tiger at the Champions Dinner a couple of years before that. He said he just wanted to. He just wanted to. He wasn't sure if he could just sit in the chair, you know, comfortably. He just wanted to be able to walk, much less perform at a at a level of an elite athlete, winning you know one of the biggest prizes in his sport. So that 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 made it uh, utterly remarkable and uh, something you can uh, I can say, yeah, I was glad I was there for that. It felt like watching from afar. It felt in many ways kind of like his major swan song. And I know it's you never want to count him out because, as you pointed out, how he's so familiar with the course, how he absolutely adores that course, and if the rest of his career he only gears up to really play really well at the Masters, then he's always going to have a shot, right, Rab? Even with his body kind of breaking down a little bit here and there. But it did feel that way. It almost felt like Tiger gave us that one last great moment, that last, that one last, hey, you know what? Yeah, what you saw from me for more than a decade as I was the best athlete on the face of the planet, that, that was real. It wasn't a dream. And kind of here's a reminder of that. It just felt magical, and that was just how it felt watching on television. Uh, yeah, I mean, exactly. I mean, just just a, a, the capper to a, a brilliant career. And, you know, the debate will go on for a long time. You know, is he, is he the greatest of all time, or is it Nicholas? Some people might still say Bobby Jones, you know, because he won so much as an amateur, you know, never turned professional. Um, but, and and uh, to me, it's, it's Nicholas because longevity is part of the equation. And, and, and Nicholas was able to win over a long time. He, he, he had a span. His first major win was in 1962. His last was in 1986, a 24-year span. The Tiger went from 97 to 2019, which is pretty good, pretty good too. But you know, you're, you're, you're certain that boy, if he stayed healthy, he couldn't be able to stay healthy and not had all the off-the-course issues that he had in his life, he probably would have broken Nicholas's record at some point. You know, Nicholas, after he won the first Masters, Nicholas said, you know, Palmer agreed that they thought he'd win as many as they'd won combined, which was 10, you know, um, Masters between them. And uh, he may well have you know, if, if he'd been able to stay healthy. But that was the place. It was like the perfect storm, the the right circumstances. And someone could have come along and shot a, a final round 65 and, and beat him, even though he played his best. But he didn't have to play really great last year. I think he shot a 69 or a 70 in the final round and just was able to use that. It was just like this is like the big game hunter stalking his prey, and, and he knows how to outsmart you. And, and it's, it's not just – I mean, he's getting by. He got by last year a little bit on on cunning and, and smarts and experience and all that stuff, but, you know, not just the unbridled youthful talent that you saw in 1997 when he won for the first time. And that was, that was something to watch, too, a com- virtually like a completely different person and player who's been chastened and humbled by life as well. Uh, w- winning the tournament, it, it was really something to see. I've never been the biggest, the hugest Tiger Woods fan in, in the world because I didn't want him to break Nicholas's record. Because <laughs> <laughs> Nicholas was my idol. I mean, Nicholas was my sports idol growing up. Like a, for a lot of people, Tiger is that guy. 
but it, it was remarkable to see. And I was glad you're glad for him that that he that he won. And that was and and two for Patrick Reed. That's the most popular thing Patrick Reed's ever done. Probably was putting the green jacket on Tiger. <laughs> the, ceremony, the ceremony. Oh, that's a discussion. <laughs> Patrick Reed's a discussion for another podcast, my friend. Oh yeah, oh 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 Patrick Reed. It was also uh, uh, Tiger's first major he ever won trailing entering the final round. Which yeah. was and yeah. and that's the thing that always when when we have that debate, I always say Nicholas because if you also look, there was like a ten year stretch where Jack was in the top three or top four at every major. Like like it was just and you know he had to and Jack you know also had to deal with Arnie's army and the backlash where a lot of people didn't like him when he first came in and then you know I also say that yeah. probably the, the, the competition the level when Jack was in his prime, some of the greatest golfers of all time. It's, it's not to knock on the guys that were in the prime when Tiger was in his prime, but there was a lot of guys that, you know, were not, no one's ever going to consider, well, that guy's one of the greatest golfers of all time. There's like a handful of guys, even more than a handful, that played when Jack was in his prime. So I always give the edge to Jack because of that and because he was always in the mix and he always found a way to even come back and win a major. He was never the ultimate front runner, which I always thought Tiger kind of was. He put on the red shirt and it was over. Yeah, I- I mean, Nicholas won 18 majors, and he finished second 19 times. 19? Um, which is Rab, 19. 19. I mean, it's a 37 top twos. It's <laughs> <laughs> insane. It's just an insane number. It's, it's insane. And Tiger has never finished second in majors that many times. He's had a few second-place finishes, but not, not that many. And uh, one thing they have in common, that someone, someone said of Nicholas, and I think it's certainly true of Tiger's prime, I think to a certain degree last year, he knew he was going to beat you. You you knew he was going to beat you, and he knew you knew he was going to beat you. <laughs> and, you know, That's true. He had people like that. And they, they were talking uh, yesterday on uh, I think Golf Channel uh, about, uh, or I was talking to somebody about it. About it. He, last year, Molinari hit the water, and Tiger went onto the green in that red shirt to mark his ball. Like, I want you, to, I want to be in your field of vision. You want to see that red red shirt? It's like this is you're in trouble. It's like a red caution light. You know you're. You're 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 in big trouble here because Tiger's <laughs> there, and and you're scrambling around to make a bogey or something like that. So, um, yeah, that 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 aspect of it, I, I think, is similar. Yeah, Nicholas beat so many great players from different eras. I mean, you know, uh, Palmer and Lee Trevino and Tom Watson and Tom Weisskopf and Johnny Miller, and you know, just you know, a lot of a lot of great. A lot of people say that today the field is deeper, and perhaps perhaps it is, but you know, today. Semi wins one major, and it's like, you know, rem- you know, it's like considered really, you know, a, a remarkable feat. Fred Couples winning the one, or Justin Rose winning the one U.S. Open, or, or something like that. Uh, that's what that's what, what Brooks Kepka has done in recent years with the, with the U.S. Open and the PGA wins uh, is is pretty great. And Rory McIlroy, you know, one of the stories again this year the, the Masters trying to complete the career Grand Slam, trying to join the the five who, who've done it. Do you know the five, Raymond, who won the career Grand Slam? Oh well, um, Tiger. You don't count. Um, let's see, career grand slams is, is Nicholas. You don't count Bobby Jones. Don't count Bobby Jones. So it's going to be Nicholas. Yeah. It's going to be Tiger. It's not Phil because he fell short with the U.S. Open. Um, right. I don't. It's not Nick Faldo. No, uh, he only won the Masters and the British. Yeah, he won the Masters. Three in each. The, Three each. But uh, yeah, he didn't win in the PGA or the U.S. Open. Well, uh, Seve. No, he only won the Masters and the British Open also. Okay, well, who, who, give them to me. Who, who's who's the, the the slams? Well, Gene Sarazen was the first one. Okay, did it. Gene Sarazen made the made the double eagle two on fifteen in 1935, uh, and went on to win that. that you know, that hole has never been double eagled since uh, what? the fifteenth. 
the par five. No, wow. he's 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 the first and only one to do it. Because you, know, you remember a couple of years ago when Bubba Watson beat uh, Louis Ustazen in the playoffs, Ustazen double eagled the second. You know, he hit the second shot onto the green in the final round, and it rolled across the green and made the double eagle. And then Bubba beat him with that shot out of the trees. You know, in the, in the playoff on number ten. Um, uh, ben Hogan uh, won, won them all, and then Gary Player. Oh, I forgot about Gary. Gary. Shame on me. Shame on me for that. Yeah. Gary Player, uh, uh, he's uh, a fascinating man. I've gotten to talk to interview him a couple of times at the Masters, too. He's, he came down to sit. Yeah, a lot of people, the first year the press building opened, I guess, in 2017, a lot of people came to see it. And he, he kept, he's coming down the stairs, and I'm going up into the, the main press area. And he, he says, you know, a fine facility like this would make you want to write your best. <laughs> we'll certainly try, sir. And he laughed. You know, he kept on his way, going his way. But uh, yeah, five. So it's a rare feat. It's hard to win them all. And Rory seems to have the game. John Rahm said it today in his interview session. Yeah, he's he's got the perfect game for Augusta. But sometimes things get in the way, and other players get in the way, and things just don't work. You know, it's not quite your week. And uh, but there's no reason he shouldn't. Uh, and of course, Jordan Spieth still needs to win. Uh, you think the PGA to to win the Career Grand Slam? But Tom Watson never won the PGA. Arnold Palmer never won the PGA. It's it's hard to it's it's fantastically hard to do. Lee Trevino never won the Masters. It's it's hard to do. Rab, let's wrap it up with this, bud. Tell me who do you like here? Give me a couple guys, maybe some of the bigger names, some of the, the you know odds-on favorites to win the Masters, and give me some guys that maybe are middle-tier guys that could sneak up there and have a great weekend, in your opinion, and uh, put on that green jacket come Sunday night. You know, I think they said the average, the average uh, winning. I don't know how many years going back, but typically the average world ranking of the winner is like is like uh, fifteen. So it's usually your your very top players in the world. But they're expecting a lot of a lot of rain, maybe a little wind this week. It's gonna it, it, that could be a factor. And we're talking you're talking about Zach Johnson. That year was very cold and windy. He's not one of the longer hitters, but he won um, the year Mike Weir won in 2003. It was very very rainy. So that can kind of bring more players into the the field. But uh, obviously Bryson DeChambeau, who won the U.S. Open, of course by six at Wingfoot, and Dustin Johnson are the co-favorites. Uh, you know Dustin, you know world number one, and you know has, has certainly been in contention there before. Uh, I, I like I like John Rahm, who's the third favorite at ten to one. You know, I, I think you know Rahm is very much the player. You know, you've had three Spanish champions in the U.S. Open: Seve, uh, Jose Maria Olazabal, and, and uh, Sergio Garcia, and he's very much a player in, in those veins. In fact, maybe of those the most talented. It just seems inevitable that he's going to win majors, not just major. And I think certainly he could he could break through this week. Uh, a player farther back in the pack, uh, Webb Simpson is thirty-three to one. I think Webb Simpson is, you know, the player's been very steady. You know, former U.S. Open champ, won his Olympic, I think, in 2013. He's been very steady uh, the last couple of years. Um, yeah, I, I, I think he's uh, he's one to uh, to watch. And then maybe somebody like I want to I want to say Tony Finau, who's who I've got. Mm. Uh, the odds are sending me a 30 to one, but Tony just doesn't win. He's always in contention, but he never wins. But but might he be on Sunday in a position where? Other players are imploding around him, and he just kind of like like Danny Willett in '16, and just kind of sails through. But uh, I, I would like to say uh, Jordan Spieth, who just has not won in the last couple of years for some reason. Uh, he always seems to play well there. I'd like to say Ricky Fowler, who just I'm starting to wonder if he's ever going to win a major. He's won the Players, which is a, a huge tournament, but I'm beginning to wonder if he's ever going to win a major. But if I had to go with a, a slightly someone down the board a little bit, 
I, I think uh, I think Webb Simpson would would be my guy. And I've seen I've seen Jason Day pick. He's forty to. I see him at forty to one. I've seen Jason Day picked by uh, by some people, and Jason has has played well lately. But Jason, I, I love Jason Day, and he's a fantastic talent. But he's got like a glass body. You know, there's always something wrong yeah. with Jason. You know, he's just one of those athletes that you see sometimes. They just seem to be injury magnets. You know, and <laughs> just. He's he's one of those guys, unfortunately. But if he can have a healthy week, maybe, maybe he could he could win because he's uh, he's been very close before, and I, I like those guys. But if I had to pick one of the the, the handful of favorites, which are Bryson, Dustin, John Rom, Justin Thomas, Roy McElroy, uh, I'm going with John Rom. Rab, I know you're disappointed not being able to go and cover the event for the first time in years and get to see this unique opportunity with it being you know fall colors there at Augusta. But brother. I know you're going to be watching every second of it, and we appreciate your time on here uh, looking at this year's Masters Tournament and also just recapping your fondest memories from the tournament growing up and also covering in person, brother. Thank you so much for that. Thank you, Ray. And this has been so much fun and therapeutic, I will have to say, uh, under the <laughs> circumstances. Uh, yeah, this, is, this has kind of helped me get over my grief and move along in the, in the grieving process. So uh, hopefully I'll be back in April. Hopefully, call Call me. Promise you'll call me in April if I go. You know, call me in April uh, if I'm there. And we'll talk again uh, about the Masters uh, in just five months from now. I hope that I've got my fingers crossed. Will do, brother. Will do. Thank you so much, man. Okay. Thanks. The Masters, once again, is going to be this week. That's right. The Masters in November. No azaleas blooming. Lots of uh, brown leaves around. But it's still the Masters. It's still golf's, one of golf's grandest stages. And to further our conversation here about Masters on the Rap Game Podcast is my next guest. Oh, man, you know him. You love him. He's a friend of the show. He's a columnist for the Shreveport Times and the Monroe News Star. You can also read his work at designatedwriters.com. It's the one and only Mr. Hall of Famer himself. The man who goes over the Hall of Fame like no one else. He's the MC to the nth degree. My good buddy, one and only Teddy Allen. Teddy, good morning, brother. How you doing? I'm good, Ryan. Thank you for that introduction. Some people you know, need no introduction. I need all the introduction I can get. So. It's, a pleasure. it's a pleasure to be with you, friend. It's a good excuse to spend time with a buddy. I agree, brother. I agree. All right, man. Let's get right to it. Uh, just how weird is it yeah. that uh, it's uh, college football in the midst of college football? Thanksgiving's just a few weeks away, and we're going to be having the Masters to to devour and you know watch this week. Just how kind of surreal and bizarre is that for you? Uh, I'm looking forward to watching. I've been the last eight years, and this year I really didn't know who all was going. You know, a lot of it is. I mean, it's always fun, you know, to run into the fellas. I don't have to tell you that. Oh, yeah. Um, but, but since it's the fall and since it's been so engulfed in uh, uh, this fall in football and uh, starting and stopping of it, and since the PGA Tour was kind of on and off a little wacky this year, I haven't thought about it a tremendous amount. Uh, but I'm really looking forward to it, as are most other people who love golf, because that's the course we know the best. Since they, you know, it's the same place every year, and so you feel like you get to know the course, whether you've ever been or not. Um, and, and so those are like, you know what to expect, and then you know what to expect the unexpected. It's just a, a neat venue, and it's the most incredible, incredible is not the word, um, I don't know, comfortable, just wonderful piece of property that I've, that I've ever been on, besides being at my own home. This is uh, this is just a magical place, and I knew guys who've gone there for you know forty and fifty years in a row, 
and they act like little kids every time they go. I would see them there in April. It's just new every time. But anyway, this is a different Masters, but it'll still be the Masters. It's the same course. The ground, uh, you know, grass may not be as green and nothing will be blooming, but uh, it's still going to be a, it's a wonderful place for golf to happen. Bud, when was your uh, your earliest Masters memory? Just as a kid growing up or a teenager or whenever you started following it and watching it? Well, I grew up in very rural South Carolina, so I was not far from Augusta, but uh, I guess three hours away in South Carolina. But, of course, that was worlds away from the tobacco passes and soybean fields of Dillon County. So my first memory is probably not until... Well, I was reading it in Sports Illustrated when I was started nine, ten years old. But I can't remember the first story I read about the Masters the first time I knew that was happening there. Once I got to be a teenager and started playing golf, I got to be a little more locked into it. Um, and still didn't understand the course until I saw it for the first time in 2012. Really? So uh, it, it's, it, it's that much of a difference when you actually – you get to walk it and you're you're covering the event that you really get a full understanding of just how special and just how challenging it is? Yeah, and that may just be because of my IQ. Other people may pick up faster <laughs> on TV. But come on, Teddy. Come on I've now. To, well, no, everybody I've talked to, who, even guys who have taken their wives or wives who have taken their husbands, one of them playing, the other one doesn't, they gain an Everybody I've talked to who's done this because it's well, they, they can't get over how silly it is, how all the lives are, most of the lives are pretty uneven. You can't tell how steep uh, number one is, how far it goes down in the Z, and then appreciate how much it goes up elevation-wise, uh, which is the only way you can go up. But you can't see stuff like that. Uh, number three, the false front on that green, it's, it's, it's hard to appreciate on television. Just the mounds and the elevation uh, ups and downs are hard to appreciate until you until you go out there. Our, that, that was my feeling. And, again, every, even the non-golf people who have gone uh, will rave about how spectacular the place is as far as beauty and cleanliness and how well this, <laughs> how well this event is run. And I've talked to two media people who have covered events all over the world and I have yet to meet one who says this is not their favorite or best run uh, event. Teddy, uh, yeah, that first year, and that would have been the year uh, Bubba Watson won uh, that year, the uh, the lefty with the uh, uh, South Louisiana yep. caddy. Um, yes. So is, is that what led you there, That, that the connection that Bubba had a, a caddy from Louisiana? How, how did you even get to the point of going over there for that, for the Masters? Yeah, that, that is a good, that's a good uh, question. Because it's sheer luck, the editor, the, the ex-executive editor of the Shreveport Times was the editor of the Augusta paper. And, of course, this is their Super Bowl week. And so he said, hey, will you come over here, stay with me, help cover the tournament for us? and for the Athens, Georgia paper, and some other papers they were affiliated with. And I said, let me think about it. Yes, I'll do it. <laughs> and so uh, it was a driving rainstorm to get over there. It's about 10, 12 hours. My car was messed up. It wouldn't go above 60. Um, 
so it took a while to get there, but it was worth it. The first thing they told me when we got there to cover my first assignment was a tree had fallen into the new bathroom built behind number 16. And so go see what the deal is with that. It didn't have anything to do with golf. But I did, and that's how I got to, um, in fact, my assignment that week, I, you know, if the things went along, was to cover, mainly cover Louis Oosthuizen, who ended up coming in second and lost in the playoff to Bubba. So that was a break that I got to cover him. And um, so that's how, that's how I started going. And just one one quick King Louie, golf fans will remember this, but on Master Sunday, he double eagle number two. And I was standing at the sand trap to the right of him. He was out in the middle of the fairway. And this is another elevation thing. This It's the prettiest shot on television is that second shot on number two looking down at the green, in my opinion. So that's where I was when he hit it, and the ball hit on the left side of the green, and it rolled in a you know, half circle toward the cup on the right side of the green. And as it got nearer to the cup and you had an idea it was going in, as you looked down at the green, the people on the left side of the green started standing, and it was like they did a wave from the left to the right, and then everybody exploded when the ball went in the cup, and Bubba Watson was the first to run over there and high-five and all that kind of thing. And then, of course, that ended with uh, Bubba Watson's hook shot on 10 and in overtime. The next day, I got to play the course, and that was another lucky event in that they have they draw names out of a pot. Okay. And every year, like 10, 12 or 16 media guys get to play. I think uh, you know CBS guys play, uh, IBM guys, whoever the other big sponsor is to play, and then the riffraff us come in later. But they treat you like. A king as soon as you pull up. Now, when it's time to go and you're through playing, then they want you to go ahead and leave. But while you're there, <laughs> that Monday, that Monday's pretty spectacular with nobody there and the ropes down. And we went over there. I said that to say that we went over there and saw the shot, you know, that Bubba hit from where he was standing, which you couldn't get there on Sunday. But it, it, for him, it would not be that difficult of a shot. I mean, you could see how he could shake it and line up perfectly far, but it was still. You know, Master Sunday and overtime, it was pretty much a heck of an effort by Bubba to get it where he got it. So that was my first time going, and since then, uh, I think I helped him the next couple of years maybe, and then Roy Lang and I, from the time, uh, you know, they kept letting us come back. So every year around uh, February. I like, I, I, I like how you say that. They kept letting us come back. Yeah, <laughs> yeah they did. They let us the, the year Jordan Spieth won, um, 15. It was 2015. There was nobody from the Dallas Morning News or Fort Worth papers were there. And me and Roy looked at, we had two from the Times. <laughs> we said, this is weird. Now, the next year, there were Dallas people were there to cover it, Fort Worth people, but they weren't the year they won it. It's kind of weird. But yeah, they let us keep coming back and, and, um, you get this magical piece of email in, uh, in February. You're just, you know, waiting and waiting to get it. And it's your invitation, and that's what you run off, and they scan you in when you when you get on the ground. You run a pretty tight ship, but it's worth it. Brother, let's talk a little bit about, you know, you, you've covered the last eight of them in person, and I know it would be easy to say what Tiger did last year is what stands out, and uh, you, you, you wrote, uh, did some tremendous writing about that, um, just just yourself, you. um, which I just love. Thank you, Raymond. But – 
you know, which which one of those years kind of stands out to you? Which one of those championship runs besides Tiger really kind of stands out to you where you were like, wow, this is something really special that we're watching? Okay, sure. And the Tiger thing, uh, that was not my favorite turn. I mean, I, I really appreciate the guy, if you look back and think of his bug shot or whatever, you know, three years before, and you just you felt bad for him as a person. And then he's standing out there beating the best golfers in the world those four days. That's pretty remarkable. But, um, you know, when the guys all hit it in the water on 12, it's just they're just giving him the tournament, and he's smart enough and wise enough to, you know, play 12 like you're supposed to on Sunday. And knowing that you've got – it was like Kepka and the Spaniard and the Italian guy and the um, European guy, they – it's like they didn't realize, hey, i got all these holes I can score on you know, 13 and 15 and maybe 16. It's like they never, why, so why they did, why they hit it where they did, I'll, I'll never understand. But, uh, real 2013, and people forget this, but Adam Scott won it and he beat Angel Cabrera. Yeah. It was also in the playoff and they were firing darts at 10 and it was getting dark and they were not encouraging each other, but they were competing. And when it was over and Scott made his putt, Cabrera, whose son was caddy for him, he took his hat off, went over there, you know, fist bumped him and hugged him. But those were two guys playing great golf the last few holes of that tournament, just going head-to-head and as it was getting dark. Um, and to, to me, that was – I think that's probably been my, my favorite one. Garcia in 17 was good, too. You know, finally won. He messed up on 13, ended up hard to hold, but he didn't pout and all this kind of stuff. And him and Rose are trading, Dustin and Rose are trading birdies down the stretch. And Garcia, birdies 18, uh, in the first hole of the playoff to win it. Uh, and he was very gracious in winning it after, you know, being shy like all these years. He hit the straw and oh, the world is against me. Me, Garcia, Sergio, everybody. And he wasn't like that. Uh, so I'm sad he's not getting to play this year because of the virus. And the last two years have been good with Patrick Reed. That was like a NASCAR race. He, he's a big budded kid. It's like he wouldn't let anybody around him, uh, won it by a stroke. And, and then last year, you know, would be a lot of people's favorites just because of the, the way that that ended with Woods winning it. it it's hard to go to the Masters and, and, and not have, um, walk away with a, you know, a really wonderful memory. Even if, even if it's Danny Willett, who, who won by three and 16, that was when Steve kept putting him in the water on 12. Oh, yeah. Uh, and Steve the year before, he won by four, but it was this Jordan Steve is, who's this guy? And, you know, on Saturday, he, 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 uh, dust his chip on 17 and bogey. Then he had to make this tremendous flop shot on 18 to save birdie. And and then Sunday was just uh, you know mechanical and, and and beat everybody by four. But he was playing almost just really for a kid that young to be that team that season was neat. It's, it's just every year is a fun year. Teddy, let me ask you about the par three contest. How cool is that to see in person? It's, a, it's really neat. Uh, I don't know how to describe it unless. Well, I tell you what. Jack uh, Nicholas was warming up in this little spot 
by the par three thing. And, and he's just hitting these little uh, eight irons, 90 yards, you know, making them stop. They don't get more than 20 feet high in the air. And he hits eight or nine of those. And he looks around. There's six or seven of us standing there. He said, that's pretty good for a guy that doesn't play golf anymore, isn't it? Yes, sir. <laughs> so just to see these guys, they have a little belly on them now, except for Gary Player, who looks like he could, you know, beat every kid if you wanted to do monkey bars or whatever. And and Arnold Palmer, the late Arnold Palmer, uh, you know, you've seen him in Sports Illustrated since we were kids, and then grainy footage. And here they are, almost in like a cartoon setting. It's so pretty. Uh, and, and, it, and it's all, they're competing, but it's all fun. So everybody's smiling and, there's kids of all ages. Everybody's crammed into this tiny piece of, uh, piece of, uh, land that, that, you know, God built and that man fashioned, uh, in, in just a brilliant, just a brilliant way. You don't know how they could have done this any better. And to think that these guys, when they built it, Bobby Jones and them, they had to have envisioned this thing being big the way that they, the way that these massive groups of people can move from spot A to B and have good viewing points, not be in the way. It, it, it was just, it's just a, a, really a piece of engineering art. Uh, but back to the par three was, the par three is always, always neat. If you want to feel like a sardine in a sardine can, you need to, you can't miss that because it's, there's, there's not room for anybody else. Sardine in a sardine can. I like that. Man, they are jammed in there. All right, brother, let's let's look to this year because you've covered this event and you know golf uh, better than most. Uh, give me some guys that are going to be in this field that you yeah. like. Maybe, maybe some of the, you know, give me a couple odds-on favorites and then give me someone that's maybe middle of the pack, maybe uh, not really uh, being discussed that you like that could get in there and uh, put on that green jacket on uh, Sunday night, brother. I'd love to, but the way that the thing has been this year, I mean, you don't know how much guys have been practicing and how much they haven't been. I mean, I don't know. I do know this. Uh, Tiger Woods, it's just he knows he's played the course so much, and, of course, it's 1-5, so the pressure's not going to bother him. I don't know about anywhere else about him winning. You know, he's a, he's a balding, middle-aged, average golfer now. Uh, is the fact of the matter, but he's still one of the best in the world. And there, you, it's hard to bet against him. But with the other, you know, DJ and, and, and a, 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 a solid player like uh, uh, King Louis, and who's my favorite European that I can't think of right now? And shoot, maybe Spieth will get Magic back. Um, Patrick Reed. It's lightning in a bottle, too, and he's better than people give him credit for. I don't know, though. I'm, that's why I'm really just looking forward to seeing. I, I don't. I think it'll be a name like a Willard or somebody who's not supposed to win this year. I like that. Who says, okay, this is my, this is my chance. This has been a weird year, so I'm going to make everybody mad. Every writer's going to want to choke me because nobody knows who I am. <laughs> it's not going to be a good story. They're not going to know how to write my name, and they're going to have to no, look it up online. Yeah. <laughs> Every year they'll, be, they'll go back and say, oh, that's that year Fred won. Crap. And never heard from again. So, I love it, Teddy. We'll see. I love it. Yeah. All right, bud, we'll, ra- we'll wrap it up with this, man. 
Um, you typically yeah. go, you're not able to go this year because obviously it's in the fall and COVID restrictions and football responsibilities and everything like that. So yeah. uh, tell me, how uh, how are you planning on watching uh, the Masters from afar, brother? You got anything special planned? Uh, anything like that up there at the no. Allen Compound? No, it's Sunday. We did not turn on the TV at the Allen Estate. Uh, the state, uh, I, my apologies, my apologies, the, right. the Allen Estate. <laughs> right, the Allen Estate, which is basically a lean-to. Uh, but there's a lot of love here, Raymond, so that's all you need. And we got running water. Uh, so Sunday, I'm kind of looking, I'm thinking I'll be watching the Masters um, and really enjoying it. And Thursday evening, I'll probably have to search on Friday. Probably had to go be some tapes involved, and I'll, or you know, DVR, and, and try not to get anybody to tell me anything to happen, and then watch it like that. So that thing, just strap in and and um, and hope the good Lord gives them good weather, and you know, hopefully we can trade some witty texts with each other if we think anything funny to say about what's going on. And I mean, we'll do that, that anyway. Way. It's not necessarily witty when sure. we do it, but we'll do it anyway. Right? Not necessarily. Right? <laughs> but I'm looking forward. To that, and then, you know, you don't have to be thinking in your head about what kind of lead to write for the you, – you don't have to be looking up to see who is this guy who's winning. Um, so it'll be it'll be relaxing and fun, and, and we'll do it that way. And, and hopefully everybody will get to play football Saturday, and hopefully everybody will get to play some football Friday night. I just – I hate these guys missing the chance to play, so I hope everybody gets a chance to play. Now, I'm sorry that Sergio Garcia is not going to be – at the tournament, but I'm glad that he's uh, won the right to keep showing up every year by winning a couple of years ago. I hear you, brother. I hear you. But, Teddy, man, this has been great. I appreciate you making the time, as always. I know you're a busy man w- uh, with DesignatedWriters.com, no. with what you're doing with Shreveport Times, Monroe no. News Star, what you're doing with Louisiana Tech, what you're doing with the Louisiana Sports Hall of Fame. You are a jack of all trades, my friend. I appreciate the time, brother. Happy to be vertical and be employed and to have a few people who care about me like you, Raymond. So thank you very much for having me on. Can't wait to see you again, buddy. All right, brother. I'll eat a pimento cheese sandwich. I'll eat a pimento cheese sandwich Sunday in your honor. <laughs> while we watch some golf. Thank you, it brother. It be as good as the ones in Augusta. But okay, man, I'll see you down the road. Teddy Allen, man's a treasure. He's the EMC for the Louisiana Sports Hall of Fame. He writes columns for the Shreveport Times, Monroe News Star, and, of course, uh, designatedwriters.com. If you don't know Teddy's work, you should. Uh, the man is a gem. I want to thank Teddy, of course. I also want to thank Scott Rabelais. It's the rare two-guest rap game podcast today, but had to do it. Those two guys are two of the best guys when it comes to covering golf that I know. Both are good friends, and both shared some great memories there of their time covering the Masters, watching the Masters, and being there for, let's be honest, one of the sporting world's best premiere and memorable events. That's going to do it for this episode of the Rap Game Podcast. Look, if you missed any previous episodes, just go to 1037thegame.com, go under the podcast tab, and you can check out all the other previous episodes of the podcast that are there stored, they're archived for you to be able to listen whenever you have the free time to do so. But until then, y'all be safe out there, be kind to one another, and we'll talk to you soon.